Alright. Don't know if anybody can really be really be bothered today. Why are we going? We, have we had enough of this season? Will we just wrap this season up now? Or? Well, yeah, pretty much. That's, that's probably the plan for a few people, but uh, there's that sneaky Benetton side coming up the rails, which means uh, you can't. We better go for it then. Yeah, let's, uh, we'll take it on the crack at it, shall we? Welcome then to another Jacob Stockdale Rugby Roundup with me, Gareth Anna, or Adam McKendry. Hey guys. And Jonathan Bradley. That's for me, right? This week we'll take a look at another headline-grabbing performance from Ireland's newest rugby sensation. We'll also uh, be looking at the consequence of last se- last weekend's Six Nations results. And there's a preview of the Schools Cup semi-finals. And in the club segment, we'll preview the MU Barnhall against Rainy Clash in Division 2B. And, well, unfortunately, I suppose we better talk about Ulster as well. Um, neither of you could make the game last weekend then. You were both on international duty, mercifully, having now watched it back. Um, Done a scale to have like one to really horrendous. How bad was it? Uh, minus nine, 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 <laughs> nine, 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 infinity nines. For, you know what? For the first half, it was all right, but the second half was just stunningly poor. Like it, it wasn't even just poor; it was off the scale poor. I was saying just before we started recording, Ulster weren't in the Scarlets twenty-two once. During that second half, they actually only got into the Scarlets half three times, and they were never in the Scarlets half after the 60th minute. That is just how badly they were beaten on Saturday, and 34-10 doesn't do it justice in my opinion because if it wasn't for a few uh, very good defensive sets, Scarlets could have been over several more times. <laughs> it. It's a sorry reflection of where Ulster have fallen to that after a first half where they were very much in it, where they were toe-to-toe with the Scarlets, the the Welsh side just came out and they absolutely blitzed them and Ulster had no response. They looked tired. They looked... It just looked like all the energy had been sapped out of them, particularly after uh, the Scarlets' third try. It just looked like there was nothing left in them. Um, and you know it, it's the difference between where the Scarlets are at the moment and where Ulster are. It just <laughs> in everything basically. It, this, that second half is one of the worst performances I've seen from any team ever. Johnny, was that the was that the worst Ulster half you've seen? <laughs> There's an awful lot of choices there, like um, <laughs> from this season alone. I'd say it's comfortably the worst forty they've put together this season. But then people forget, like how I know it's so recent, but people can forget how bad that Connacht game was, or how bad the first half against Munster was, like until Munster got the red card, because that was at home with a much better team out against a, a Munster team that was missing a roughly equal amount of players. Um, but obviously, like, like it's not good, and our points of debate as we near March should not be. What do you think was the worst forty minutes <laughs> Ulster put together this year? And like, that's what passes for debate now. Um, the only thing was like, 
Some people seem surprised. Like, I wasn't surprised in any way. And not just because I knew the score before I watched it, but like... Not even the nature of it. Not even the fact that they didn't. They only got out of their half three times in the second half. That, they didn't that get wasn't out of surprising. Their, they didn't get out of their own half against Edinburgh in the second half either. And that was at home. Yeah. But I think the annoying thing for people is that you look at Scarlets and the amount of players that they're missing. And you look at Ulster and the amount of players that they're missing. But Scarlets are still able to play a cohesive brand of rugby. And brand of rugby is the operative word because there's a style and an ethos about Scarlets that overcomes who's missing. And that they go out and play in the same way, with the same style and the same verve, no matter who's there. Because you look at the players that are missing, they're missing an entire team. Now, Ulster are missing two-thirds of a team and are constantly missing two-thirds of a team. But you have to be able to overcome that. And it's something that in past seasons, Ulster have actually done quite well during the Six Nations period of late. And they've had a, one or two slip-ups, but if you look at the actual points per block, they normally do quite well, and that hasn't been the case this year. And it's that thing of, oh, well, look at who's missing, and everybody's missing these players, but Ulster are the team that end up looking like a rabble during this period. And that's because you don't have direction, you don't have an team ethos, and that's what you see in games against teams like Scarlet's, and Leinster to the same extent, who can just plug in anyone, and that's what good teams are able to do. But, obviously this isn't a good team, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that point. No, probably not. Um, on the forums then, Bart asks, asks, is there any pride left in the, the Ulster jersey? Which probably really sums up the, the reflection on last weekend's fixture, but is there? Um, well, I think first... We'll actually let Niall Malone answer this one and then we'll come back and debate it ourselves. So here's what he said to us on Tuesday's press conference. Yeah, well, what I would say is at times before that was a valid um, criticism, but I'd actually say, well, the Edinburgh would make 229 tackles, which is it's about 100 more than we normally make. So I thought um, because we lost, people said whatever. But against a good Edinburgh team, I thought we fronted up and I thought we were quite passionate. Um, six months ago, when you when that criticism, I, I, I worried myself and Rory Best himself, I think, said after one of the games, one of the, the big high-profile games we lost, you know, it was it was getting very deflating. But um, the current run, I don't think it's to do with passion. I think it's to do with well, various things. Off-field, there's there's so much going on in Ulster at the minute, which is a, we try not to make it a distraction, but it's always there. And then, um, you know, the flare availability. So in the past, I think passion was the maybe number one criticism, and I don't think it is anymore. And I think Jono's main strength is to try and bring that out of people. So, uh, yeah, second half against Scarlet's was, was disappointing, but that, it was more technical problems rather than passion problems. The guys were completely exhausted after that game. I think they were exhausted after Edinburgh, and it carried on. So they're trying their best, and I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that they don't have passion because... They are doing their best. Well, what what do we make of that then? I said something similar to this on last week's podcast, but for me that's as worrying as anything. Like if you're working really hard and you think that you're going out there with passion and everything, and you're still getting taunt, then what are you? Then what is missing? You can build a culture and you can um, work on these things, but if you're just not a good rugby team, then that's an awful lot harder to replicate. I mean, <laughs> I would agree with Niall that there, there's no lack of pride in the jersey. 
I just think Ulster don't have a good enough team and I think on Saturday we just saw the difference between where the Scarlets are as a team with the depth they have compared to where Ulster are as a team and the depth they have because you look at some of those defensive sets some of the Ulster guys were getting up and getting back into the line a quick pace you know they were driving them back they were doing really well and then you look at other points and you think to yourself well those are just individual errors like for the Scarlet's first try there are two guys covering in behind when you really don't need there to be that lets uh, them over in the corner for Combeer's try which I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from him because it's a superb finish from a guy who's making his senior debut but the initial two tackles from Trimble and Henry are shockingly poor they are really awful attempts at tackles and Ludig and McPhillips aren't much better with their two tackles in the backfield but they're facing a the guy at pace so I, I don't think there's necessarily a lack of pride I just think Ulster don't have the squad at the moment just p- plain and simple I'd agree with that like, it's not an issue of people caring or not. it's just an issue of too many average rugby players being collected in one place at one time so when you go and play a good team like Scarlets, Scarlets never for one minute thought they were losing that game. Even at half time, like it was, was it ten ten, and they were kicking to the corner. Like they never had a moment's doubt that they needed to take the points because they weren't going to be able to pull away. And that's the kind of position that you're in. You're in a different world to these teams, and that's been something that's been allowed to happen over. A relatively short period of time. Like it's not that long ago that Scarlets came here in a Pro 12 semi final and were beaten relatively comfortably. Like mm. that gap between the good teams and Ulster has widened significantly in a very short space of time. But that's what you and I see. The fact of the matter is, if you take the last two games in isolation, Ulster have been completely dominated by two sides that a couple of seasons ago certainly a couple of seasons ago you would have expected them to beat Edinburgh home and away and possibly even comfortably on both occasions the Scarlets you would have expected them to to at least be competitive at the Parky Scarlets and instead Edinburgh if they were more clinical would have probably put about six tries past them and the Scarlets put four tries past them in 40 minutes you know that that is not good enough at all, and no, nobody is trying to pass it off as being good enough. But I think a few people just have to stand up and say, "Look, we're not at that standard right but now." It was just so like the way the game went was so predictable because you look at the team sheet and you see right, Byrne and James Davis. I wonder where else they're going to lose this game. Probably the breakdown, mm-hmm. and then you see the way the breakdown was going. Um, Ulster just couldn't like they couldn't counter rock at all. So, you know, there was one point where Cooney gets dragged into the ruck and then Cooney gets knocked into Alan O'Connor. He has to come in and play scrum half. And they just they could never get any purchase at the breakdown whatsoever. John Cooney never had time to do anything else. They could never get set in their shape at all. But, I mean, the first 25 minutes of the Edinburgh game, before Johnny McPhillips went off, you could see a sort of plan and a shape to them. But really, in that Scarlets game, even when they were winning, there, like there wasn't much shape to them. 
Well, looking ahead to Friday night's game then, um, at home to Glasgow, after all that's been said, it doesn't really look very hopeful, does it? No. Um, it's it's the equivalent in uh, international rugby of facing the All Blacks and then facing the Wallabies the next week, or England or someone like that. And the the problem is... Do you see Ulster getting a result this week? You would argue not. And Glasgow were very much the architects of their own downfall against Munster on Friday last Friday night. And especially towards the end where they were trying to go for what then was just going to be a losing bonus point. <laughs> All of a sudden they started missing touch with every single kick. And uh, it was bizarre. And I'm sure if you words would have been had but Glasgow are just going to do exactly what the Scarlets did last week, they're going to be patient they're not going to panic and whenever the broken field opportunities present themselves or Ulster's defensive patterns start getting out of sync, that's when they're going to strike because that's what they absolutely love they have some brilliant mercurial guys in that back line and that that's the problem for Ulster because Jared Payne has significantly improve this defence you can see it in those set areas um, where Ulster are able to get that pattern along the back line but as soon as the game breaks down Ulster are at 6s and 7s and they have no idea what to do and for for me again it's, it's just another frank truth Glasgow's squad is better than Ulster's um, and I think whenever the teams are announced on Friday, you're going to see that that's very much the case. Johnny, Glasgow have won five of their eight fixtures away from home. Do you think Ulster can stop them making it six from nine this Friday? Well, it's a great time to play Glasgow because they're not showing the same form that they were at the very start of the season when they streaked ahead and got themselves in a position whereby they've already qualified for the playoffs with whatever it was, seven games to go. And irrespective of what the marketing for this game will tell you, you're not going to see the likes of Stuart Hogg and Tommy Seymour and uh, Sean Maitland, so on and so forth. So having got beaten by Munster last time out, they've got a recent draw with the Dragons as well. So they're not the team that was sweeping all aside them in this league, if not necessarily replicating it in the Champions Cup earlier in the year. But, I mean, the problem with that is that there's never been a better time to play Ulster in the last near enough 10 years. Um, Niall Malone said it today in the press conference, Glasgow are going to be licking their lips at the prospect of coming over here and playing an Ulster team in the shape that it is. So, the problem with this game coming now, as it does, is you've only got two home games left and you've only won two away games all season in the league. So you're in a position where Benetton are going to win probably three of their last five games and are seven points behind you. Like, forget about Edinburgh now. Edinburgh are away over the hill and gone. Um, what they've done over the last three weeks to take 14 points and having been in the position in, like, 78th minute where they would have taken seven points to double that tally in the last two minutes, the run that Edinburgh have gone on has set them up absolutely to finish third in this conference. So that, for me, that's gone for Ulster. 
also should be looking at how do we stay ahead of Benetton, who didn't beat Connacht, but still got a bonus point, so close the gap further still. If they win three games, and also need to win two games, at least, really. Which means you're looking at the game against the Ospreys here, and where else do you see a win coming from? If it's not this week, then you have to win an away game. And you haven't won an away game in the league since the start of November. So, panic stations, essentially. You talk about must-wins. Like, Probably and, so. And, Every and, game's filled up as a must-win, and yeah, then, no, lose, no. then the next one's a must-win. No, I, I know, but we are now at the stage where any losses from here on out are... Pretty much hammer blows. Well, they're going to lose three at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's your predictions, Jada. No, I, I, well, I'm not going to dispute it either. The problem for Ulster is where do you see this turnaround coming from? Because the last two games they've played with an average of 34% territory. You cannot win games with that minuscule amount. You know that that's relying on you being extremely clinical when you get into the right areas of the pitch, and we all know Ulster are not that. The number of points that Ulster leave on the pitch, <laughs> I would actually love to go back through the season and work out, you know, roughly how how many times Ulster have been in the twenty-two and come away with nothing. So they have to find a way to at least play the game in the right areas of the pitch. That That is the bottom line. That's where they have to start because they cannot play games in their own 22 because they're never going to win from there. But Glasgow are a team that can take you from one end of the pitch to the other in a split second. Even against Munster, they did that last week in, in defeat. They, they need... Ulster need to find fixes very quickly and they have such little time to do it in because Benetton are not on bad form even after last week's uh, loss as you said Edinburgh are now probably out of sight already even though they're only five points ahead yeah I mean, so, it's not that they're out of sight it's just no, 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 I, 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 yeah, also I, would have to win a number of games that they're not going to do because I mean you got it's only two weeks ago that without looking like a convincing rugby team Ulster were in pole position here because of the points buffer that they had and the two sides respective fixture lists Ulster have now lost both those advantages because of the amount of away games that they now have left having lost at home but I mean you talk about needing quick fixes and stuff and I just think there's almost an attitude here that if this season could just end now then that would be Mm. great but the fact of the matter is that it's gone so south. You know, you think about how many games have actually won in the league recently. Southern Kings, who I think as Tony McCorder put it on uh, Saturday night, would get beaten uh, quite handily by a 1A All-Iron League team. Mm. And then the Monster game, which you only won because a player gets sent off from the opposition. You know so, what I don't like. Like. Where, the, like, where are these wins going to come from? Just to ensure that uh, you can genuinely put the season to bed and move on without mm. the uh, spectre of the Challenge Cup hanging over you next year as well. 
the thing I don't like is a lot of the Ulster players are already talking about getting through this season to next season. You know, so now is not the time to be talking about next season. Now is the time to be talking about this season and making sure we get Champions Cup rugby for next year. You know, the, if we don't get Champions Cup rugby for next year, next year isn't a very attractive prospect to be thinking about. So what's the point in thinking about next year if it could all be pear-shaped before it even begins? The Ulster have to keep an immediate focus on making sure that things improve before the end of this season so that we can finish in a position to get Champions Cup rugby for next season. The attitude there for me is wrong. Well, the fact of the matter is the team's not going to be better next season particularly. No, no, no. Dear bless us, right? This is getting far too depressing now. (laughs) My word, there is no hope in sight. I'm not saying that Ulster are going to get remarkably better next season. I'm saying the attitude of once this se- there seems to be an attitude within the team that once this season is o- once this season is over, like you said, everyone would love this season to be over, so then we can focus I don't on know next I season. Necessarily, I- the team so much as the organisation as a whole seem to want this season to be over. I wouldn't well, specific. No, you can include the players if you want, but I wouldn't specifically include the players. I would say it's an organisation wide no, thing. I think you're right, but I think the players have to stop talking about looking forward to next season and they've got to focus on getting things right to finish this season. No, I agree with that, fine, but my point was there's nothing to look forward to next season, really. Like, why are they going to be better next season? Because their best players leaving? Because the uh, core of senior players who have gotten them to a point where this season is a disappointment are all going to be another year deeper into their 30s. Like, I think we've all been guilty in the past, say, four years of thinking that things were going to be better next year. There's no evidence to suggest anything's going to be better next year. That's all. Well, that was depressing. Before we look at that anymore, um, we'll just uh, sort of um, full stop our chat about the Glasgow game by hearing what Vihan Herbst had to say about this Friday's fixture at Kingspan Stadium. I mean, we, we as a team, we, we work hard for each other, for, for the coaches, for everyone. So it's obviously really disappointed for us if we don't get the results. Um, yeah, so I can't tell you really where it's disconnected. I think it's just small moments in the game that we you know maybe do something wrong and then the next time we do something wrong again and, and that uh, that's costly and instead of doing something wrong and fixing that straight away we, we're up against a quality side this weekend so we have to up our game you know and we can't afford you know glimpses of you know f- you know small and stupid um, mistakes I mean they, they've got a good pack you know it doesn't matter who plays if the, if the six nation boys will be back or you know, some of the guys coming back from injury or, you know, they've got a good quality squad. So whoever they're going to put in the pack for the weekend, it will be a good pack. So, you know, we, we'll just have to, you know, man up as a pack and be up front with them. Well, we're just going to have a little chat then about Ulster's season tickets. Um, hopefully any season ticket holders that have been listening to the last few minutes of this podcast aren't put off too much for next season. Although perhaps, Johnny, you haven't done Ulster's season ticket sales this summer. Any any favours there over the last few minutes? But we're talking about them because the season ticket holders survey was released on Friday. We know now that there's going to be a price freeze for next season. What else did we learn from all this? 
Uh, there's, there's about 15 sheets Johnny's printed off sitting in front of us here and I can't make head nor tail or any of it I just thought it was interesting to talk about because we had the discussion off the back of uh, Stephen McCormick's question about value for money in the season tickets two weeks ago I think we looked at it mm-hmm. yeah. and so I suppose the, the idea of the price freeze is a concession to what we were talking about that um, in terms of value for money but like a price freeze is only if you're getting the same product, which this might not be. Like, I know Ulster aren't in a position to judge how many home games they're going to have, but theoretically it should be one less, given that they had 11 home games this year. And it could be Champions Cup, or sorry, it could be Challenge Cup rugby rather than Champions Cup rugby. So you could be paying the same amount for a product that involves less games and Challenge Cup rugby instead of top tier rugby. So, like, I don't think it really means anything in its mm-hmm. present state until we know the fixtures. Well, what else have we got then from all this stuff here? Well, I'll, I'll admit I've only looked through it once, but the one that sticks out is the question, will you renew your season ticket next season? And it's right over at the far side of the table, so I don't know the exact stat. Oh, Johnny's giving it to me, thank you. But 48.9% of people are undecided. So perhaps that's, that's based on the European rugby? Perhaps, but the fact that you're now into February, just going into March, and half of the people surveyed of your season ticket holders are still undecided whether they're going to come back next year is a big problem because you've re- <laughs> you'd really like to hope that most people would be uh, either side of the fence on this one, and you'd certainly like to hope that they're uh, on the yes side of the fence as opposed to the no. Um, so that that's the one thing that sticks out to me. And I, I, I agree that it could be down to the uncertainty over whether it'll be Champions Cup or Challenge Cup next year, but um, I'm, I'm going to be a bit more cynical and say that uh, it's not all down to that. Well, well, have we, have like, we got any ideas of reasons for anything here? Look, the thing that you would find encouraging if you were trying to balance Ulster's books is the top reasons for being a season ticket holder are loyalty to the team. That's 79%. So loyalty to the team theoretically should sustain itself. There's only 39% who buy a season ticket to see top-class rugby, so... Well, that's hopeful as well. If they, if they don't make it, they're not overly fast. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we have seen some half-decent opposition teams this year at Ravenhill. So what else have we got here? 39% What's the, have seen something. What, anyway. what are the top reasons then for people getting season tickets? We have loyalty to the team, cost savings on tickets, which only really applies if you're going to go to all the games regardless. Mm-hmm. Because as we spoke about a few weeks ago, you don't have any trouble getting a ticket anyway so you now can pick and choose your games where you couldn't always do that before money can't buy opportunities 42% say that's that's yeah, why four, they're here 4.2 sorry 4.2% <laughs> only 4.2 people think money can't buy well that's D- a bit stupid money definitely can buy these sort of things I mean they well, have bought a season ticket it's 500 quid we talked about this so like you can buy all of these opportunities <laughs> yeah for, I don't understand that one at all quid. Um, so the social aspect anyway 49.4% of people just go really to have a laugh basically well we so always uh, <laughs> there's been plenty of laughing and crying and emotions yeah, well. we always suspected that anyway <laughs> um, atmosphere positively impacts 79.8% of people's um, ex- match day experience so set the band 
<laughs> uh, 61.9% are positively impacted by the food village. Free stadium Wi-Fi positively impacts 24.9%. Which That's using right now. Thank that you significantly much. helps me on match nights. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I think that's that's just a sad indictment of modern society. That one in four people <laughs> are attracted to go to a rugby match because they get good Wi-Fi. Well, what does that say about modern society? Well, strictly, anyway, speaking, strictly speaking, it's not free Wi-Fi. You're paying £500 to <laughs> yeah, get access true. to the stadium to use it. 2,245 people responded to this survey, which is between a quarter and a fifth of the season ticket holders. And six of them, the most sick, optimistic six people known to man, what positively impacts your match day experience, team performance. <laughs> Low bar. Low Good luck to them. Good luck to them. So is that us? Have we, have we exhausted all the, the findings of this season ticket holder survey? The only other thing that I thought was interesting was like half the season ticket holders are older than 54. Which I think is pretty normal for a sport, and I would like to see a general sporting uh, survey to that, because I think that's very normal. But I'm based not in Irish League football. You obviously need to be attra- finding a way to attract um, new season ticket holders, if that's the case. But in, ge- like in general, I thought all this information was fairly interesting, so yeah. as much as we criticised them this week, fair play for us. Yeah, fair play for this. Yeah, so if you want a little look at that, you can check it out on the Ulster Rugby website. On to the listener questions then. Uh, we have three fairly decent ones this week. Well, more than that, but we've picked out three. Um, the first one comes from Donal O'Reilly, who I know is celebrating his birthday today on Tuesday as we record this. So happy birthday, Donal. Um, his question was, um, the money that comes from Charles Piatow and Tommy Boo leaving the playing squad at the end of the summer, or at the end of the season, where should Ulster spend that? Are they better spend it on backs or on forwards? I reckon they've probably spent a bit of it already on Marty Murr and Jordy Murphy, mm. but I would say a bit of it on Jacob Stockdale too. Well, <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, it all depends who they can attract, and the thing is, we we're still in a position where we don't know, and Ulster don't know who they're able to sign. Uh, that'll probably become more clear over the next couple of weeks, but they would be better for me to put it into the academy focus on creating that inner squad depth um, and I know uh, putting a load of money in doesn't necessarily bring in more talent but it just helps uh, get a bit more funding for them it just helps them go that little bit extra and it could uh, it could definitely influence the team in the long term as opposed to punting a load of money in on one guy who's only going to be here for two years. He may not turn out to be uh, who we need. You're at least getting a bit of long-term investment from it. I think if you look at that, um, you know, Adam says pumping a lot of money into one guy for two years and also have never spent more money per year on a player than Charles Piotr. And as good a player as he is, as brilliant a player as he is he's not going to play a knockout rugby game for them so I would agree 100% with Adam that it's time to look heavily at where the money's being spent and you need to revamp the systems below the team or below the senior team to be in a position where you're bringing more players through later because I don't think the team's going to be able to compete with Leinster and Scarlet's Glasgow Munster for a couple of years so as Adam says two years of a really good NIQ you might sell a few tickets but it's not going to uh, 
do anything else because they need so much more than that. Fairly well in agreement on that one. Then the second one comes in from Stephen McCormick who asks, it's a bit of a long-winded one, bear with me. Surely an internal review of strategy and corrective action uh, to take cannot be conducted by those who have made significant mistakes uh, that have led us so low. So, who do you think would be best placed to save Ulster from themselves? Uh, he asks, and also used the ask your hashtag, fair play Stephen, extra marks for that. Well, I mean, most teams aren't in a position to look outside, really, but Ulster are in a handy enough position that the team that they want to be like, the market leaders, as it were, to use the kind of business talk that no doubt pops up in these reviews, are under the same umbrella in Leinster. So use that as much as you can. I agree with what uh, Stephen says there. What is the point in having a review if it's the same people that put Ulster in the position where they are now? Here we are comparing ourselves to Leinster again. again. Well, you're comparing well, uh, no, to a good team. I, I get, I get what you're saying. I completely agree. And I think if Ulster want this review to be taken seriously, if they want people to think this isn't just uh, the same people looking at where they went wrong last time and trying to fix it again, they should look at at least appealing to the IRFU to say can you at least send one person to come in and take a look now the majority of things will have to be done by internal people and uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that, they're not going to be able to bring in a 10 strong team from outside and (laughs) say right take a look at what we're doing but I think if they can get at least one unbiased voice to come in and say this is where you need to improve this is what other people have done that's proved successful and it might work for you, I think that could really help them out Um, so I couldn't give exact names but it would be really good if they could just get one person in from external, an external organisation to come in and help out, it would be really beneficial for them. The review needs to settle on the model of a successful team and I think anyone independent that comes in would look at where Ulster are falling down in terms of the other successful teams in the Pro 14 and say that it's because they're not producing enough of their own players. So any review that doesn't start with schools and clubs and schools throughout the entire province of Ulster and clubs throughout the entire province of Ulster is a waste of time, really. So just any, anyone that's going to say that. You get you to do it, then. Are you volunteering <laughs> your services? I wonder what it would be a pay rate. Might not be a voluntary position (laughs) (laughs) Question number three for this week And our final listener question Comes in from Kyle McNeely Any relation to Jim, we're not sure Uh, What's the worst thing, he asks About modern rugby Well he's definitely not a relation to Jim Because he's Jim Neely Oh yeah, oh yeah, exactly (laughs) Well he might be like, well you never know He might be just coincidentally (laughs) The the worst (laughs) The worst thing for me about modern rugby and it's going to be a little bit controversial is all these player safety regulations now I completely get I completely get that the first thing you have to do is watch out for players and concussions and all that and that that is completely right but I I was watching or I was scrolling through Twitter one day and I came across uh, a little short clip of a game from it was the it was the early nineteen nineties, and it showed one guy absolutely flying into the tackle, another guy hammering him down to the ground, um, and then three players from each team 
going into practically a fist fight over the ball, <laughs> and the referee gave a penalty to the team uh, that actually looked to have landed the most hits. Um, but it, it was just, for me, it's what rugby is. It's just a, a physical contest that I think has partially been lost over the last few years. So while I don't want player safety to be completely eradicated because concussion is such a big problem these days and of course you don't want guys to be having all these big problems I'd love to just see some way to bring back just the, just the bare physicality of the game and just let, let it be 15 guys just going at each other for 80 minutes. It was funny listening just coincidentally to something on the radio today uh, based on the, the boxer who had passed away there over the weekend mm. um, and they were just discussing uh, player safety in sports and rugby and everything so I've tried to clarify as much as possible I don't want player safety to go out the window because that that is paramount but at the same time I, I do want I do want a way for just for it for it to be back to what it was whenever you see those videos from the old days where guys are putting in these massive hits and stuff like that that you just you don't quite get in the modern game these days. Mentioning the, the fist fights and all you knew you're a nice hockey fan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Johnny, what's the worst thing about modern rugby? Um I would just say, I would disagree with Adam to a large degree there, just in terms of the consequences of not having um such rules in place but worst thing about modern rugby um, I really dislike the phrase match day experience um, <laughs> that really annoys me after we've just discussed the season tickets yeah. for yeah <laughs> like five minutes. things involving the match day experience that aren't involved in the match they annoy me like what um, give us some examples just everything it's just everything. Everything well, is like not. I understand why they're there, but all the bells and whistles around uh, just going to a sporting event. It's like you say, why is the yeah. actual match not enough? Um, so do you not want like Subway coming to Ulster matches and shooting subs into the crowd? Then no. I'm just thinking of that. Um, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm totally grand about that. I hate the phrase finishers. What if you got? What if you got a sub? You'd be happy enough there. Then you may change your mind. We get food in here anyway. Um, <laughs> plus. Uh, Subway would never their subway canna would never reach where the press box is. <laughs> That's very true. Where, where that very far true. Back. It has a flaw. Uh, I hate the phrase finishers for substitutes, that annoys me. <coughs> I never heard that before. Um, I hate random. the Mexican wave. I don't know whether that counts as modern rugby, but the Mexican wave just really, really annoys me. Um Oh. It was one thing. You're so grumpy. <laughs> I haven't even started in my main one yet. My main one is <laughs> what I dislike the most about modern rugby, personally as a rugby journalist. Is <coughs> Ulster being terrible? Well, that is <laughs> tough for me. Ulster and well, just clubs in general having their own media channels—that's a complete nonsense. Um, the idea that clubs see media outlets as competitors in terms of content is ridiculous. Like, even the phrase "content" annoys me. But anyway, <laughs> um, the perfect example being. If you're trying to promote your product, then you should be doing that through the media as well as your own media channels. The idea that there's competition between the two, and like if anyone thinks that they're doing the same job, then you can watch that Jared Payne interview on URTV during the week, where we essentially learned that Jared Payne is alive and hasn't lost his voice, and that qualifies as content. That's just ridiculous. But anyway, this this brings up something that I saw yesterday. Um, there was a rumor on Twitter 
that Exeter were going to sign Ben Morgan next season to replace the outgoing Thomas Waldrum. And Gloucester themselves tweeted back saying that Morgan was under contract for two more years and basically implied that it was uh, fake news. Which is another term I hate, by the way, outside of rugby. But um, that's, that's something that you wouldn't have seen. Like... That's something I've never seen before. A team openly going onto social media and shooting down a rumour. I think there's loads and loads of scope for teams to use social media well. And Ulster mm-hmm. do use their social media well in terms of like the behind-the-scenes stuff, like micing up the players or just people around the things. Like some of the video stuff that they did with... Uh, Christian Leleofano and stuff when he was here it was great the wee video series they did during pre-season was it last year? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was really good but Ulster do this and other teams do it as well but branding your own content with a player as an exclusive it's like he's your player by saying it's an exclusive all you mean is we didn't allow other people to talk to him but here he is with our sanitised questions that's ridiculous it's not an exclusive if he's your player. <laughs> well, here we go. Moving on before uh, the guys just start complaining about totally un- uh, irrelevant things. Um, we'll have to have to chat about the Six Nations a little bit, which is an altogether happier experience for local rugby fans at the minute. Um, Jacob Stockdale then, uh, what, 8 and 7 now, isn't it? And yeah. he's now yeah. Ireland's 29th um, <laughs> highest try scorer in history. It's uh, it's pretty unbelievable. That sounds it? like a stat you've been wanting to use for a long time. I just said Johnny was tweeting it flat out over the way. Oh, uh, okay. I wasn't tweeting it flat out once. I'm, I'm going to take a slightly different tack. Um, Stockdale took us tries well. Um, for his first try, Jonathan Sexton's pass was outstanding. I mean the the pass to put him in was um it, it was just so fast and so pinpoint accurate that he basically had Stockdale going over the line before he'd even got it. I, I thought Stockdale was quite quiet beyond um beyond scoring his two tries. And I think certainly uh, Luke Fitzgerald was saying in the in the media today that he thought he was quite per defensively and he had a few defensive work ons and certainly for that first Welsh try I thought he was uh, a little bit all at sea for it. So personally for me, he he just has such a knack for the try line that he's so valuable to any team and to get that, he read the intercept so well noticing that Farrell had come in and closed down the space in midfield that Anscombe was going to have to go over the top. So to make that intercept was a perfect read from 